Well, it's so uh, great for us to be able to stand with Brian and with Jess and affirm them in their call to ministry this morning and affirm the call that God has placed uh, on their lives and on their family from Saskatchewan to Lethbridge to Langley to Harrison. And like Brian said, things don't always go as planned on those journeys, but uh, God has been so faithful to them. And I think that's a fairly common theme if you were to talk to people about that have a sense of what God has placed on their lives, not just for full-time ministry in the life of a church, but other individuals as well. Uh, Some of you know a little bit of my story. Unlike Brian, I'm a planner. Um, So I like to kind of forecast a little more. I like to kind of have a bit of an idea as to where things are going to go. And so I had a very, very solid plan for my life. Uh, Brian was talking a little bit about his high school experiences. I, in high school, it gets to that time, you think, well, what do you want to do with your life? I had a really good plan. I was going to go to the University of Toronto. Uh, all of my uh, family, my parents and my grandparents were all business people. I was going to get a, a job and degree in communication, settle down in suburbia somewhere, have a comfortable little house, get married, have 2.5 children, a nice little white picket fence. Uh, it was all... It was all very, very clearly mapped out in my plan. And along the road in that plan, uh, I heard God speak very, very clearly to me about his plan for my life uh, instead. And it was very, very uh, different from that. And it wasn't very specific, and that was a little bit frustrating to me. It was just a sense of, here's where I want you for this time and this season, and that here, geographically, was Langley. So I moved across the country Uh, to come out to school at Northwest Baptist College, ended up meeting Meg there, and uh, 15 years later, by God's grace and obedience to his plan, we're still here in Langley. And so the whole idea of my plan and God's plan is something, as even Brian was talking about that, is something that probably, if you have a level of familiarity uh, with the Christian movement and with the scriptures and with God speaking to you in some way, that there's some tension points that come into those uh, places. And so that's one of the things that we've seen in our study of the book of Genesis. And it's how quickly people can develop plans for their lives. Plans that do not include God and plans that sometimes set themselves up in direct opposition to what it is that God has uh, intended and asked of us or of humanity. So if you're new or visiting with us, welcome here. Uh, We're studying in the book of Genesis, in the book of beginnings. And uh, it's here in the book of Genesis, which is all the way at the front of the Bible. Like any good introduction or early, um, uh, early chapters in the narrative, whether it's a great film, whether it's a good... Uh, book, you're introduced to a lot of the core concepts early on. And so that's why we wanted to look at the book of Genesis as we go through January and February uh, this year. And we've seen a lot of the plot arc already develop in our story. We've seen chapter 1 and chapter 2 where God created the world and where he declared that it was good. But then in chapter 3, Our forebears acted in willful disobedience to God's generosity and commands and rose up with pride in their hearts and said, uh, well, we use a a parenting language, you're not the boss of me, if you ever hear your kids talking and saying that to each other. Uh, And we saw how then as we went on in the early part of our narrative that humanity again and again exerted and continued to live out this fallen nature. We saw a brother killing brother, 
and we saw families ruptured and broken. We saw that genuine relationship with God was substituted just for going through the motions of worship and religiosity and pretense. And finally, we saw last week that it got so bad that the text says that every single thought and design and inclination of the heart of every person was bent always and forever towards evil. And so God said, that's it. I won't strive with humanity forever. And so like a parent grieving over poor choices, God said, uh, sent the world a deluge. And in his mercy, we saw last week that he spared Noah and his family. And so that's where we are uh, in the book of Genesis. We finished with chapter 9. And in chapter 10, uh, we begin to see Noah and his three sons and their families, and they're having babies. It's a lot like Jericho Ridge, where there's like two babies every week going on now. And then in our situation here in Jericho Ridge, we were counting up because we do baby showers for people. Uh, and so in the course of four months, I think there's going to be like 11 babies that will be born. And so we'll have a big shower for 11 people, uh, which kind of, you know, it, it makes it sometimes a little bit, honestly, lonely for single people around here because you think, well, is that, the, you know, is that the narrative that everybody's getting a part of? But um, it's, it's not true for everybody, just so you know. Um, but we see in Genesis chapter 10, again, God reiterates his command that he started in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then God reiterates this command again to Noah and his sons and their families in chapter 9, verse 1, says God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, again, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And as they began into this process, there's a problem that emerges yet again. And that is that not everybody is on board with God's plan and his command. They have their own plans for their lives. They have their own programs and they are intent upon direct disobedience to God's command. And so their plan in chapter 11, when we come to the beginning of the text uh, this morning, is a tower. Not just a tower, but the tower. And it doesn't turn out too well for them in the end. So grab your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 11, and let's pray as we look into God's word this morning. God, we are grateful for your word uh, it's, a source of, it's a source of truth for us. It's an authority in our lives to guide and to give us instruction about how you want us to live. And so we submit ourselves to it this morning. We want to come with an attitude and a heart to learn from you and the things that you have to teach us in your word by your spirit this morning. And so, God, we say thank you for that process. For those of us that are newer on that journey or who are skeptical, uh, God, I pray that you would speak to them as well this morning in this narrative, and that you would open our hearts together to receive from you. In the name of Jesus, your son, we pray. Amen. Well, in Genesis uh, chapter 11, we have uh, yet another narrative, and I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. I want you to listen for this conflict between God's dream and his aspirations, and the dreams and the plans of the people uh, in Genesis chapter 11. So I'll start in verse 1. The uh, story actually starts in Genesis chapter 10, uh, verse 32, where it says, And these are the clans that descended from Noah's sons, arranged by nation, according to their lines of descent. And all the nations of the earth descended from these clans after the great flood. Genesis 11, 1. 
At one time, all of the people of the world spoke the same language, and they used the same words. And as the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia, and they settled there. And they began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire, because in this region, bricks were used instead of stone, and tar was used for mortar. And they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and it will keep us from being scattered over all the world. So in Genesis chapter 10 and Genesis 11, we get a picture of the origins of the nations of the earth as it's described to us. And one of the things that the book of Genesis helps us with is to answer the question and to make sense of the question, how do we understand the world today? What are the origins of some of the things that we see represented in our global family today? If we all descended from one human ancestor, one family, how is it, a natural question for us should be, to ask, how is it that we see such incredible diversity across the globe in language and in culture and in ethnicity and more? Well, Genesis 11 helps us understand this movement from a monolinguistic to a multilinguistic or global expression or experience. So early in this narrative, we see a couple key things that are happening. Now, again, in Genesis, there's a lot of stuff that we don't know, even though we would really, really like to know the answers to it. For example... We don't know who these people are. It doesn't actually say this is a particular tribe of a particular descendant of Noah or one of his sons. We don't know exactly where this city was. It was somewhere east. People keep moving east from Eden, and then they move east again. We have Nimrod settles a little further east, and then there's continual pushing east. And so somewhere in southern Mesopotamia, uh, is this plain, which doesn't have stone, but has more of an alluvial plain where water comes in, water goes out, and so they have an ability to make clay, but they need to harden this clay and make it into bricks. So we don't really know a lot more than that. We don't know where they were building, uh, and we don't know necessarily what this particular tower was about. We like to ask questions like, well, was it, a was it like a temple? Were they building like a ziggurat like what you would find in later Babylonian archaeology? Uh, were they, was God upset about that? We don't really know about that point. Uh, we're not really told. And in fact, the author would hint to us that that's not the point of the story. The point becomes much clearer to us as we dig a little bit more below the surface of their building project because it's the why behind their building project, not necessarily the what of their building project that God seems to have issue with. And the point becomes clear for us as we look at their expression of intent in verse 4. They intend to become famous and they intend to stay put in one place. We will make a name for ourselves, the text says, if you have the ESV or the NASB. And we will, this project will keep us here. It will keep us from being scattered all across the globe. Now, in the end of chapter 9, we hear and understand that Noah lived another 350 years 
after the flood. And so it's clearly reiterated for us that Noah and his family, God said again to Noah and his family, God's plan for the world, that they would fill the earth, that they would scatter. But these people, even though they're not that far out and they're directly descended from this and have heard God speak to them about this, they're not really intending on fulfilling or participating in God's plan in that they would scatter. Uh, I'm indebted in my thinking on this to Eugene Roop and the Believer's Church commentary in this passage where he looks at it and says, chapter 10 has told us time and time again that uh, filling the earth is part of being scattered and, it, and this, this filling the earth is an expression of God's blessing to them. The people here seek to establish a unity and apparently set themselves against God's blessing to be scattered. God has a plan. He wants the earth to be filled. He wants the earth, uh, those who, to exercise a stewardship over the earth. And these people are saying, eh, not so much. Not really interested in participating in that part of God's plan. We have a plan that's a building plan that we think is better. And we ought to pursue that. You know, that really doesn't uh, sound all that unfamiliar to me. Because as I think about how my plan for my life was setting itself up, or maybe your plan for your life was setting itself up, in a lot of ways, it was setting itself up in antithesis to God's plan for me. As I went through that experience of knowing that God was saying, I, need you, I want you to move across the country, I resisted it. Time and time again, every time I had that thought, I thought, nope, not going to do it. Not interested at all in participating in that. Although, if I would have thought about it a little bit more carefully, like really, uh, granted at this time of year, when they have dumps and dumps and dumps of snow, like you can see there's just abundant wisdom in God's plan in moving from Toronto to Langley. Uh, but I wasn't considering that aspect of it at the time. Uh, the idea I had was that my aspiration and plan for my life was more important and would trump anything that God said about my life. And that's certainly a narrative that I'm familiar with, and I suspect many of you too. And so one of the early questions that we're invited to ask and to answer and to learn from this text is that question in Genesis chapter 11, a life lesson that we're invited to give thought to is, what is your dream or aspiration in your life? Because that's going to drive activity in your life. So what is it that you feel deep in your heart is that picture in your mind that you have of how your life is going to play itself out? What's the dream or aspiration that is driving your activity? In the case of Genesis chapter 11 and our tower builders, it wasn't that God was opposed to the settling in cities. It wasn't that God was somehow anti-urbanization. It wasn't that somehow God was anti-architecture. They didn't want this tower built. He was opposed to the dream that they had in their hearts about this whole idea. The issue is that the dream that was in their hearts was diametrically opposed to the dream that was in God's heart. And we've been reading through in our momentum journaling in the book of Proverbs, and Proverbs brings this up over and over and over and over again. Think about uh, some of the texts in Proverbs that bring this up. Any verses come to your mind in Proverbs? Just shout them out. Or find, flip your Bibles open to Proverbs. 
in verses about planning, verses about your thoughts, how you want to organize yourself in your life. Proverbs 3, yeah, 5 and 6 is a great example, which says what? Mumble, 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 mumble. <laughs> That's right. And lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. He will direct your paths. I love the way that uh, Proverbs 19.21 says this very clearly. It says, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. Some of us in our hearts have hidden or not so hidden dreams and aspirations that drive us. We may not think about them very often, but they influence us in ways that uh, if we pause and take ourselves out of uh, the busyness of our week, they become a little bit more apparent to us. Some of those might be around money and acquisition. If you're single, some of them might be around meeting someone, settling down, having a family. Might be around, if you have kids, how your kids turn out or when and how you retire. And these dreams that we have in our hearts, our pictures of our lives, have a way of driving our activities in the course of a given calendar year, in the course of your life. And the question is, whose dream is driving your life? Is it the dream that God has placed there that's a healthy dream, that is a dream that is aligned with his desires that's revealed to us in Scripture? Or is it a dream that says, I have really no interest and no care whatsoever for what God thinks. I'm doing this, and I'm doing it my way, and I have no interest in anybody else's opinion on it. You may want to just take some time this week to spend time just asking God to search your heart and, and ask that question. Is there alignment between my purposes and picture of my life and God's purposes and picture for my life? Because in the case of our tower builders, we see that those things were not aligned at all. And not only do we see that their dream is, is uh, off, and not being scattered is off base, but also the way that they go about expressing it is also off base. Because sometimes you can have a great aspiration in your life, but a really negative expression of it, or a really negative way of executing it. And that dream still won't please God. It's more of a question there of motives, really. Not only in our tower builder's case do they oppose God's scattering to be a blessing, but they also do it with arrogance in their heart, a profound arrogance in their heart. It's not just, oh, we'll settle here. It's we, we will settle here, and we, we will be famous. We will make a name for ourselves. So the another question that we need to ask is not just about what dream is driving our aspirations and our activities, but what is the attitude in our hearts as we pursue those dreams and aspirations? Because we've all maybe had experiences where we've met people with, as near as we can discern them, good and godly aspirations, but the plain and simple fact is they're jerks. The way that they're going about executing their plan is not honoring God in any way. And some of them are great at hiding out in churches. They talk all the time about how they want to do amazing things for God. But when you really get right down to it, 
their motivation and their methodology is all about them. They want to make a name for themselves. And this is maybe something that, um, as uh, Meg had the opportunity to be out in Ontario a couple of weeks ago and um, was on the phone with uh, my grandfather this week, it's something that doesn't always afflict people that are older in the same way that it affects, affects people who are starting out in their life and in their career. Uh, because we have this some drive that we really want to kind of make a mark for ourselves and be successful, whatever that looks like in some way. And again, the book of Proverbs is filled with great wisdom on this. Just one example from Proverbs 16, 18 about this attitude that somehow can weasel its way in is in 16, 18, where it says, pride goes before destruction and haughtiness goes before a fall. And we see in Genesis chapter 11 that the intent and the desire of the builder of the tower, their heart, was profound arrogance. We are going to make a name for ourselves in this place. So let me give you a little picture, uh, see if we can, and a picture of how this links a little bit together. So we have the, the, the first building block of this kind of thinking pattern might be aspiration. And that's a question of why, why you do what it is that you do. And so your aspirations, your dreams, your intent, your preferred picture uh, of your future, and then it begins to work itself out into the how am I going to actually go about doing that. And that touches on the question of attitude and how you begin to work itself out. We see in Genesis 11 that pride was the anchor point for them in that. So once you have your dreams in place, and then you have a, a bit of a track record, you begin to, to build the what in place. So there's activity that then will generate out of your aspirations, out of your attitude, and out of the how you're going to go about getting this done, and the what will begin to kind of take a little bit of further shape. And then the ends that you're working towards, the for whom questions, begin to come into play. And so a bit of a thought cycle uh, represented for you for those who are a little bit more visual in the way that you think about what's going on here in Genesis chapter 11. The aspirations in their heart were to say, don't care what God thinks, I'm going to do it my way. The attitude was, we're very proud about how we're going to do this. And go. But the activity that they chose was to build a tower. And the ends was to make themselves stay in one place and keep famous in the same breath. And then we see, starting in verse 5, God's response to this particular attitude in their hearts. And the narrative is split into two sections which start off with the two speeches. The people's speech that say, let us do this. And then God's speech which says, let us then respond in this way. Let us do this. And so starting in verse 5, we see God's response to this. They wanted to build this tower up into heaven. God says, all right. The Lord came down to look at the city. So clearly if it was up to heaven, they didn't get very far. The Lord came down to look at the city and the tower that the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united. And they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and let us confuse the people with different languages, then they won't be able to understand each other. And in that way, the Lord scattered them over the world, 
and they stopped building the city, and that is why that place and that city was called Babel. Because this is where the Lord confused the people with different languages, and in this way, he continued to accomplish his objective of scattering them all over the world. I love the way that one cross-cultural worker puts the question of what in the world is going on in God's response here in the title of her book. The title of her book is, The Tower of Babel Was a Bad Idea. The Joy and Agony of Second Language Learning. (laughs) Anybody on our Guatemala team who's trying to learn Spanish can understand a little bit about that question. Uh, Anybody like uh, Colleen uh, and Nepal and Andrew, anybody like Steph heading to India, anybody like Jung Hoon and Pearl in Malaysia has sometimes asked this question, is a multiplicity of languages, was that such a great idea, God, or was it somehow related to God's curse on the world? What was God doing at Babel? Was he somehow creating the ultimate diversity program? Was he thinking of, well, I don't know what I'll do, I'm Let's invent something new. Let's call it multiculturalism. That would be fun. What is God up to in this text and in his response? Well, we've seen already in the book of Genesis several times where humanity has acted and God has responded. We've seen it in our, in, with the story of Adam and Eve. We've seen it with Cain and Abel. God comes to Cain and asks him questions. We've seen it again with the story of the flood where humanity acts and God responds. And now here we have again this idea that humanity is acting and God is responding in an autocorrect mechanism, keeping in mind God's heart. And now already in chapter 10, verse 5 and verse 20, if you look in your Bibles, we see the emergence of clans and tribes territories, and nations. And so this is a normative part of God's plan. In five times, in nine short verses, at the beginning of chapter 11, we see that it uses the phrase, the whole earth. And then five times, in the same nine verses, God uses language as a part of his plan for the whole earth. And so that God didn't intend from the start for a monocultural expression and language uh, to be the norm on the earth is what we understand as we read through God's response to the people in Genesis chapter 11. That a vast diversity of nations and peoples would be a very natural outcome of God's continued scattering is a very logical conclusion. But these people in Genesis chapter 11 we're maybe driven by some other concerns, and we'd have to speculate a little bit at this point. But one of the things that might have driven their thinking was, well, if this process has already begun, maybe that's not going to lend itself to a unity in some way. And so they're they're trying to huddle up here and try and say, if we can just kind of keep together, maybe this whole thing of scattering of nations and clans and peoples, maybe we can kind of opt out of that. And we can, whatever God's plans are for unity for his global family, uh, we may not necessarily agree with the way God's going about that. So we want to do it our way. And they, these people want a unity to protect and to build a monocultural expression founded in their pride and rooted in their defiance to God's continued commands to scatter. So just like God did to Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and Noah, God intervenes again. 
And he acts to prevent further problems. The people have their little come let us speech. And God says, all right, uh, this is your plan. Um, Come, now I'm going to respond to that in some way. And I think here that God's response gives us a bit of a picture as you continue to read through the rest of the Old Testament and into the New Testament. You get a clear understanding of God's heart. How many times in the Bible does God talk about the nations and every tribe and every tongue, every people group, every language, and his incredible heart for them? And there's a lesson here that continuously comes through, and I think this is more of a lesson for us as a church community and as communities of faith than maybe for individuals. Because just like there are propensities in this group of people in Genesis 11 here to kind of begin to turn a little bit inwards and begin to build some walls and try and say, we're going we're gonna to think that our unity plans are going to be best preserved by our strategies and energies. We have to begin to ask the question of, as a group of people together, as a church community, engaged in understanding God's heart for his world, what are we engaged in building together? To what ends are our efforts and energies bent as a group? Or more specifically, as we think about reaching out locally and globally and corporately and individually as well, who are our efforts aimed at drawing attention to? Who are our efforts aimed at drawing attention to? Because it can happen very easily and very subtly and almost imperceptibly that we can begin to think about our efforts and begin to derive a certain kind of storyline for ourselves and how we talk about and think about a place like Jericho Ridge Community Church. Because some people... And this, you know, you hear it in language every now and then. People talk about Jericho Ridge and they say, oh yeah, Jericho Ridge, that, that's a group of people over there. They just wanted to be part of a younger church or a hipper church or a more relevant church or whatever language they might use. And sometimes that language can begin to seep into our vocabulary where we begin to think of ourselves at yeah, maybe our, maybe our efforts are really paying off in that regard. Maybe we are hipper than we think. And friends, if that's the highest objective that we have, being trendy or hip or young or cool, we have missed it entirely. That's a pathetic statement. If you wander around going, yeah, I go to Jericho Ridge. That's the cool church that meets in the cool facility that has that young staff team and they do all that cool inner church stuff. Like, yeah, that, that's where I go. That's, that's my church. Yeah, yeah. Now, notice in that statement where the attention is drawn to intentionally or unintentionally. It's focused completely on the wrong place because it's focused on us. It's not about us, friends. If in our efforts in the community or in conversation where are aimed at convincing people that Jericho Ridge is really great, then we've totally missed it. We're off base because we're drawing attention to the wrong thing. If we think that the, the objective of our conversations is to try and get people to come and participate in something that we think is great that's going on, we've entirely missed God's heart for what he is doing and for what he is building 
and what he invites us to bend our efforts towards. All through the text of Scripture, we're reminded of the fact that these people said, let's make a great name for ourselves. As a group, what our objective ought to be is participating in God's declaration of his name and making his name known among the nations. Look at what it says in Psalm chapter 148, verse 13. Let them praise, not the good stuff that's going on anywhere, let them praise the name of the Lord, because his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens. And if we think for one minute that the objective of what we do here at Jericho Ridge is about us, we are in deep, deep trouble. Because that is the mistake that the people of Babel made and they were interested in. And so one of the things in this story that's a cautionary note for us as a community is to ask the question, whose plan are we working on? And what is our understanding of how we go about that plan? And what are the differentials in those plans? Well, in Genesis 11, we see that sometimes our plan and God's plan are very different. Our plan can be sometimes get caught up in making a great name for ourselves. But God's plan is that his name would be known among the nations. The antithesis, in fact, to the Tower of Babel exists in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost where the Spirit comes and there's people gathered from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, and they can hear and understand the witness of God and Jesus in their own language and tongue. We see it again in the book of Revelation where God says, uh, the picture that's painted for us is, I saw a great multitude from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue gathered around the throne in worship. And so if our plan is to make a great name for ourselves in any way, subtly or intentionally, we've got it backwards and wrong, and we need to repent of that. And the exciting thing, though, is that God invites us to participate in his plan. And our plan sometimes is, well, it'd be easier if we could just kind of gather up to protect. We're going we're gonna to kind of huddle up together, make sure that people that are like us come, make sure that we got friends that are like us. Uh, but God's plan is to scatter, to bless. Scatter amongst the nations. Scatter amongst the different schools that you go to. Scatter amongst the neighborhoods where you find yourself. Sometimes our plan is monocultural and God's plan is multicultural. And so that's just one reason why we choose to celebrate here today with the Lunar New Year lunch. It's one reason why we're showing a movie this Saturday to raise funds for wheelchairs in Guatemala. It's one reason why if you hang out around Jericho Ridge for any length of time, you'll hear us talk again and again and again about what God is doing around the world. Because that's what we want to bend our energies and efforts towards. Because God has a huge heart for the nations, for all people, for all cultures. And he invites us to have the privilege of participating in that. And so there's a number of different ways in which we can do that and go about participating in God's heart for the nations. One of the things that I want us to do, just as we come to our conclusion of our time together this morning, is that there are many people represented here in this place on whom God has placed a heart for the nations already. And that looks very different for some people. Some people 
uh, they go and cross all kinds of, of uh, linguistic and national barriers to do that. Some people, like Danny and the team that work for Youth for Christ, they're crossing cultural barriers as they engage with youth culture here in our very city. Some people are students and have come here to study and say, God has given me an incredible heart for the country that I live in. And when I'm finished my studies, I'm headed back to that place. Some of the people that God has called here to be a part of Jericho Ridge are engaged in an equipping strategy. Uh, that they're a part of uh, things like uh, Judy Friesen, and she works with the Canadian Institute of Linguistics, where they train and resource people in learning different languages and studying so that when they do go to different places in the world, they have the tools that they need. And so what I want us to do at this point is do just that same thing that we did for Brian and Jess as we commissioned them to go and to minister really cross-culturally in Harrison. It's not that far away, but it's a different set of people there that think differently, that act differently, and that function and need a, a, a viable gospel witness in that place. And we have the Birkinshaws here. We have all kinds of people that are represented in that category. We have Gary and Betty Stevenson who work with Iranian refugees here and Persian refugees in the lower mainland. And so if that's you in any way, and it doesn't have to be an official capacity. You don't have to work for an organization like that. I just want you to stand up. And those that are around you that feel comfortable, I want them to just come around you and pray for you. And just we want to support you in the work that God has called you to and in that, that uh, mission that God has placed on your heart. And what that, whatever that looks like, I just invite you to pray for them. It might be like Lindsay Schachter, who works for Global Aid Network and who organizes teams to go and respond to people uh, and disasters in Haiti and in other places in the world might be like Brad Davies who works with young people here. I mean, there's all kinds of you that are all spread throughout the life of Jericho Ridge. So I want those of you who are, are in that category uh, just to stand up and say, I feel like God has a heart for the nations that he's given to me, a heart for different people groups, a heart for different ways of expressing. And I'm, I want to be a part of God's plan in that way. So you're going to stand up. Those who feel comfortable around you are just going to uh, gather around you for prayer. And then the rest of us are going to begin to transition into a time of lunch because I recognize and affirm that there are some of you who maybe are new or visiting or this whole idea for you is totally foreign and you're not going to feel comfortable with that. And that's totally fine. We're not going to push you in any way to sort of pray out loud if that's not your deal and you don't feel comfortable with that. Uh, we just want to give opportunity for the expression of that uh, because the scriptures talk about how we want to be a house of prayer and we want to model that and support this calling that God has placed on people's lives. So we're going to do that. Uh, and then as we kind of are beginning to wrap that up, I'm going to pray uh, for lunch. And so if you have kids and you want to go and pick them up now and then bring them downstairs and get them ready, uh, then the, the team will also begin. Uh, if you're not praying for somebody around you, you can kind of begin to move some chairs um, just quietly. Let those who are praying do their, do their thing. And then we'll begin to, our team will begin to roll some tables out uh, for lunch. And let me just give you a couple instructions about that. Uh, if you did buy your tickets, then uh, just go over and make sure that you've settled up with Tamara and uh, that you're all squared away on all of your IOUs. Uh, if you are a guest with us this morning, we would welcome you to stay with us. We ordered extra tickets for you, and so we have those available. You can just stop in and ask Tamara about that at the Welcome Center. Uh, and we've got lots of extra tickets for our guests this morning, and so we would welcome you to do that. Uh, if you're a part of the Jericho family and you didn't pick up your ticket, let the guests go first. And then if we have some leftover tickets, then you'd be welcome to participate as well.
All right, so that's lots of instructions for you. Uh, but you guys are smart people, so we'll let you deal with that and, and work it all out. Um, so again, those of you who are uh, engaged in prayer, uh, you can do that. And then uh, we'll... So you have to stand up first so we know who you are, okay? And then those of you who kind of want to cluster around them, know who you are. All right? Okay, so let's do this. Can I get those of you who are can I get you to move over to this side of the room and then those who want to come and pray with them to do that? All right? And so we'll form uh, four or five separate little huddles around you guys, and that'll give uh, other people the opportunity to kind of move and to be ready uh, and to get set for lunch at this time. All right? So we'll, uh, we'll do that. And then I uh, want to thank you for being with us. And again, if you didn't intend to stay for lunch, we ordered lots of tickets for you. So go ahead and uh, participate in that. Stop in, talk to Tamara, and we'll transition into our lunch at this point.